I had an incident happen this last week in vacation Bible school that was rather funny. It was the second day of class, and we were reviewing our memory verse for that day. Each day, we had a memory verse that went along with the lesson, and we would look at that verse as a class and and uh, read it together several times. And then once I felt like the kids were ready to do this, I said, I want you to say it by yourself. And we would go around the circle. Each kid would take their turn and say their verse. On that particular day, as the last kid said his verse, one of the kids in my class, Grayson Quick, reached over and he snatched the paper out of my hand that had the memory verse written on it, and he said, I want to see if you can say it. (laughs) I was able to say it that day. These kids keep you on your toes, though. Paul mentioned to you our theme for the week of VBS was mission possible. And it's, it's important that we understand Jesus has given to us a mission that is very possible if we look to him. The mission, of course, is to go and tell others about Jesus and to baptize them, make them disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a mission that we must give attention to. And I don't think probably the world even understands this, that they're, they're depending upon us to fulfill this mission. They need us to fulfill this mission. And I pray that we will not shirk our responsibility in regards to that mission. Today, the text that we're looking at has a lot to do with this mission. My only regret is that we have just such a short time to look at it. Look at Matthew chapter 9. We'll read verses 35 and 36. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus never asked us to do anything that he himself was not willing to do. He didn't didn't wait just for people to come to him. No, the text says that he was going to the cities, and to the villages. What was he going there for? He was going there to preach, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. What would that good news have been at that time? We need to understand it was a bit different slant on the news than what the good news that you and I are to be preaching today. The good news then would have been that the kingdom of God has come to this earth. Jesus, the Son of God, the one whom the prophets wrote about, has come here. He is dwelling among us right now, and he is showing us how to live. To put that in the first person as to how Jesus would have preached that message, he would have said it this way, I am the true bread that has come down out of heaven. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the son of the blessed one. I am the light of the world. That's the message that he would have preached. And he had miracles to back up 
his message. His miracles authenticated his message. In other words, his miracles proved his identity. They gave evidence that what he was saying was actually true. He really was the Son of God. He was more than just a mere man because no mere man could raise the dead to live again. No mere man could heal a person with leprosy or cause the lame to walk again. No mere man could change the water into wine. Jesus was more than a man. He was God in the flesh. And that would have been the message that he was preaching. Well, what about the message today? It's just a little bit different than that. The message of the kingdom today is Jesus, God's son, has already come. He died on the cross for our sins. He raised up from the dead. He's coming again, and we must be ready for him. That, in fact, is the message that we gave to the kids this last week in Vacation Bible School. That is the message that you and I must preach. It's the message that needs preached here. It's the message that Anna is preaching in China. I mean, the the message doesn't change wherever you are, whether you're behind a podium and you're preaching that kind of a message on a Sunday morning, or it's a message that you and I take with us every day of the week in our walk of life. It is a message that we must not drop the ball in delivering. The world desperately needs to hear this message. And did you note in verse 36, it says that Jesus felt compassion for the multitudes? You know, already several times in this series of sermons on the life of Christ, the word compassion has come to our attention. It's the one word, and I've told you this, it's the one word that is used in the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, that describe Jesus more than any other word. He was a compassionate person. He sympathized with other people and their needs. He felt their hurts right here in his stomach. When they hurt, he hurt. When they had pain, he felt their pain. And it always moved him to action. He didn't just feel sorry for people and their problems and leave it at that. No, he came alongside of them in their pain and he helped them. In this case, the scripture says that he could see the crowds being distressed and downcast or dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. That means simply the people were troubled. They had all kinds of burdens. They were worried over their problems. Their problems just mounted on top of each other and it became overwhelming to them. They were cast down by the struggles in their life. They really didn't have much hope. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They had no one to guide them. They had no one to help them through their struggles. They felt alone. They felt defeated. And Jesus, as he interacted with them, he sensed that. And he wanted to come alongside of them. And he did as much as he could. But he was just one person. He knew that he was limited in his body 
physically. And so, what did he do? Because he couldn't be everywhere for every person, what did he do? He turned to his disciples and he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I want you for a moment, if, if we can have that on the screen, just read that verse to yourself. Let it sink in to your mind and into your heart. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. There are so many souls out there in the fields that need saved. So many of them are ready for harvest. They just need for someone to come alongside of them and help them, gather them in. They need someone to come and tell them the good news of Jesus and help them know what they need to do to be saved. Jesus said, the problem is there are so few workers. There are not enough people who care about the lost. There are not enough people who have the compassion that Jesus had. There are not enough people who are answering his call. And so Jesus says to his disciples, and I think he is saying the same message to you and me today. He's saying, pray. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Pray for more workers. And did you notice who will send out the workers? He will send out the workers. He will lay it on people's hearts to go. We just need to pray for more workers. I have to admit to you, this is a prayer that I don't pray often enough. I I love to pray. And I spend time praying to my Father to Jesus. And I pray for lost people to be saved. And I pray for the sick to get well. And I pray for the church. And I pray for my family. These are fervent prayers that I often pray. But one prayer I don't pray enough is this prayer, that God would send out workers into his field. And maybe you can identify with me in that. Maybe this is a prayer that you don't pray often enough either. We need to pray this prayer. One, because Jesus tells us to pray it. But two, because the tragedy is people are dying without Jesus. The bottom line is they're going to hell because no one is going out into the fields to tell them how to be saved. No one is coming to the fields to bring in in the the harvest. There are so many out there who are ripe. They are ready for the harvest. They are just waiting for somebody to tell them how to be saved. They're willing to listen if there was somebody there to tell them. But the workers are so few, Jesus says. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more workers. I'll never forget the Sunday morning that I finally 
gave in completely to the call of God in my life for ministry. I think I've shared this with you before, but it just seemed to fit with the message today as, as I was thinking back to God's call in my life. I was a young teenager, went to a CIY conference. That tells you how old CIY is. Way back, those were the early days of CIY, and they did it a whole lot different than what they do now. And now it's a week where you go to a designated city and you stay in that, that, on that college campus and you, you're there day and night and for an entire week and they have a program from morning until night. And it wasn't that way in those early days. They had, really it was more like a, uh, a, a revival service for youth. They would have evening services and you would drive in to this designated place where these these sessions were taking place. At, at this particular time, it was on the grounds of St. Louis Christian College, and, and my parents would drive me in each night for these, these sessions. And, and in that week, I felt God moving in my heart and wanting me to, to step forward and commit my life to full-time Christian service, and I did. I walked the aisle after one of those sermons, and, and I said in front of a large crowd, I want to be a preacher. And that was in my early days of high school. I'm sure I, a, a freshman, if not even a little younger than that. And so I had a lot of time left in my high school years to grow, and I, thank God I stayed true. To Jesus through my high school years. I never wavered from my faith, but I did waver in this commitment to be a preacher. I just, I think I probably doubted as to whether God could use me or not. I didn't know if I had it in me. And you see, it was more about Kevin depending on self. And I didn't see that I could do that. And so I, I went to Ozark Christian College my freshman year, and I had a great year. I made a lot of friends and, and learned a lot, and, and yet still I didn't know if this preacher thing was for me. Went back home for the, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, and I struggled all summer with what to do. Came down to the week before college was to start that second year. And I'm thinking in my mind, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it just it doesn't make sense for me to go back to Ozark if I'm not going to be a preacher because that's what Ozark was all about at that time. And they, they trained preachers. And I'm thinking, it's God, what do you want me to do? You've got to show me. And it, that I had one Sunday left between the time that I was to pack up and go to Ozark. And I'm saying, God... Show me this Sunday. Show me what you want me to do. And the sermon for that Sunday was, Why does God need more preachers? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, God. I hear you loud and clear. And I went back to Ozark and I had never looked back on that commitment. And I am so glad that he called me into ministry. I think there's no greater calling in the world than to be a preacher of the gospel. 
But the fact is, the fact is, he's called every single one of us to be preachers. Some of us he has called to be vocational preachers. In other words, I get paid to preach. And that's just amazing to me that I get paid to do that which I love and that which I've been called to. But, but he's called all of us to be preachers of the, of the kingdom of the kingdom news. In other words, we, you, if you are not a vocational preacher, then you are a bivocational preacher. And by that I simply mean, if you are a farmer, then you are a farmer slash preacher. And there are certain people that you can reach that I can't. You can, you can preach the good news to those people in the implement store. And you can preach the good news to those people in the feed store. And you can, you can talk to other farmers that, that I don't have a chance to talk to. You be a farmer slash preacher. If you're a banker, then you be a banker slash preacher. And you can reach people that I don't have opportunity to reach. Other bankers or people that are coming in and they're wanting to talk to you about money and and to get a loan. and, And you can point them towards Jesus. And if you're a school teacher, you be a school teacher slash preacher. That doesn't mean that you're pounding those kids over the head with a a 10-pound Bible. But it does mean that you are representing Jesus in the classroom. And when you have opportunities one-on-one with those students, you are pointing them towards Jesus. And whatever it is you do in your life... Whether you're a salesperson or you work at Walmart or, or you're in a, in a factory somewhere that, or you're a house, a housewife, a stay-at-home mom, you be that and slash preacher and you preach Jesus to people everywhere that you are and to whoever you are around. There is a need for more workers in the field. The field is the world in which we live. And the opportunity for harvest of souls is plentiful, Jesus says. The problem is the workers are so few. What we need to do then is to pray the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him that he would send out more workers into his field. And understand this, when we pray for more workers, we better be ready to become one. Because that's all a part of his plan. And that's what chapter 10 of Matthew is all about. He gathers his disciples around him. He's told them, pray for more workers. And then as we begin chapter 10, he sends them out two by two. And he has special instructions that he gives to them. And that's what I want to do for the rest of this sermon time, is simply pull out some verses from chapter 10 that are the instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples. Verse 1, chapter 10, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of of sickness. And what we get from this passage is simply this. Jesus gave to his disciples everything they needed to get the job done. You could say it this way. He equipped them to do the work that he wanted them to do. It's no different for, di- for you and I today. He doesn't send us out to do the work without equipping us 
to get the job done. He gives to us his power. He gives to us his Holy Spirit. He gives to us his presence. And all of that is sufficient enough to help us get the job done that he's given to us to do. Anna could give testimony of this, I'm sure. Now, put yourself in Anna's shoes a few years ago when she was called by God to go to China. She's 20-something, mid-20s, a single girl, going to China? She doesn't know the language. She doesn't know the culture. She doesn't know anybody there. And he's calling her to go and make a difference. And by the way, you need to raise your own support. It seems like an overwhelming job for her. One person amongst a billion plus people. How is she going to make a difference? And yet with God on her side, she has made a difference in the lives of people. He has equipped her with his power and with his presence. And he will do the same for you and I. Wherever he calls us to go, he equips us with his power, his Holy Spirit, and his presence. He even gives to us the words to say. Look at chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. If you've done much witnessing at all, you will have experienced the leading of the Holy Spirit in what to say. He will guide you. He will speak through you if you are willing to be his vessel. The key is that we listen to him. That we follow his prompting. And the fact is, too, sometimes he will be prompting us to speak. And sometimes he will prompt us to be quiet. That we've said enough. And we let those words and we let the Holy Spirit work on that person's heart. And we pray and we wait and we give it to God. He will lead us in what to say if we listen to him. There's something else here from chapter 10 that Jesus said to his disciples that we need to be aware of. Look at verse 16 and 17. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. Look at verses 21 and 22. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. It's not going to always be easy. That's what he's saying here to his disciples. As you go out, understand, the world may be against you. If, if the world hated Jesus, why would we think that they wouldn't hate us if we're trying to be like him? 
Maybe you saw the email here recently uh, this last week from E.K. over in India. He, he was asking us to pray for this particular family. It's a, a family that are, that are new converts to Christianity. And the fact is they, they have become, as they made their decision for Jesus, they chose to become the only Christians in their whole village. Everybody else in the village was Hindu. And so as soon as they made that decision to become a Christian, they were setting themselves up for persecution. And it didn't take long for the persecution to come. The people from the village began to push them and pressure them and persecute them, trying to bring them back into Hinduism. And the time, even used the word torture. The time came, too, that there was a Hindu festival that was to take place. And and as was the custom of every year when this festival came about, somebody uh, working in behalf of this festival would make their way around to every household in the village and collect money so that expenses for the festival could be paid for. And this was happening. They came and knocked on the door of these new Christians and they were collecting money for the Hindu festival. And now they're relying to give their money towards that which they no longer believe in. They refused. Ended up, the townspeople burned their house down. They lost everything. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that the road would not always be easy. And so why would we expect that the road would be easy for us? I'll tell you the reason it's not easy is because Satan is upset with us that we have chosen to follow Jesus and he will do all that he can to bring an attack against us. He will use people to attack us. He will use circumstances to attack us. He'll bring persecution against us. But remember this, 1 John 4, 4, it says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. you believe that? We need to believe that. We need to hang on to that. Someone might ask this, Why aren't we persecuted in America like the Christians are in India and other parts of the world? You ever thought about that? Why aren't we persecuted here like other places in the world? I'll give you two thoughts. One thought is this. Maybe we blend in too much to the world. Maybe we have not stood apart from the world enough that it has the world upset with us and that they would persecute us. We look too much like them. We talk too much like they do. We spend our money the same as they spend their money. We laugh at the same jokes they laugh at. We're not different enough. Therefore, we don't have that persecution against us because we're just one of them. And what a shame that is if that's the case. But I'll give you a second thought. I think both could be true. I think God has had his hand upon our country and we have been a blessed nation and he has spared us of that persecution but God is more interested in our spiritual wholeness than he is in our prosperity and I think he's seen that we need some help we need some 
prodding. We need some persecution. And I think persecution is coming our way because you look in Scripture and you see that always persecution results in the church becoming stronger. And Christians becoming more serious. Persecution has a way of separating the men from the boys, so to speak. It has a way of of bringing out those who are real and leaving behind those who are not real. And I think God is lifting his hand and persecution is coming towards Christians in this country. And we better be ready for it. For the one who endures to the end, Jesus said, is the one who will be saved. Verse 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We better fear God more than what we fear men. There's one more passage I want to show you from chapter 10. 32 and 33. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Let me ask you, are you confessing him or are you denying him? The word confess has the idea of a public profession. In other words, we should not be ashamed to acknowledge him as the Son of God and the Lord of our life. We should have no interest in being a secret Christian. There really isn't such a thing as a secret Christian in his mind. Now, we conjure that up from within our own mind and think that it's okay, but we need to understand from Scripture, it's not okay to be a secret Christian. To be a secret Christian is to be a denying Christian. And whatever version you're looking at here in this passage of Scripture, verses 32 and 33, some of the versions say uh, we need to confess Him. Others say we need to acknowledge Him. And not deny him? I was listening to a sermon just yesterday. A fellow was preaching on the end of Revelation, just the last couple of chapters of Revelation. And he was referring to that passage where there is a list of those who will be outside the gates of heaven. Do you remember that list? Do you remember what's first on the list? The cowardly. The cowardly will be outside of the gates of heaven. The one who is trying to be a secret Christian. The one who is afraid to acknowledge. The one who is afraid to confess Jesus as Lord will be outside of the gates of heaven. Jesus said, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father who is in heaven. You deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father who is in heaven. I want you to picture that scene in heaven, standing before the judgment seat of God. You, standing before the judgment seat of God, and Jesus steps up beside you as your advocate. 
advocate, your defense attorney. He puts his arms around your shoulders and he says to the Father, this one belongs to us. He has confessed me before men. She has confessed me before men. And Father, I am confessing this one as one of ours. And then he will turn to us and he will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joys of the Lord. I I tell you, those are words I want to hear. And so let us confess him. Let us acknowledge him. And let us fulfill the mission that he's given to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may we not shrink back from the mission. Give us the boldness that we need. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to realize there's more to be done in this city. There are yet greater things to do. There are more people to reach. There are more souls out there in the harvest field that need brought in. May we not think that it's somebody else's job. Help us, Father. Help us to have your eyes and your heart. In Jesus' name.